you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we are in a simple series of studies here during this Christmas season that we've entitled The Gift of Christmas. The Gift of Christmas. So Luke chapter 2, I heard about a family that was getting together for Christmas and they were passing out the presents and an aunt had gotten her nephew a present and so she gave him the box and he opened it up and as he opened it up and he, he saw what was inside, it was obvious that it just wasn't really what he expected. He, he was disappointed, the frustration, really the shock was all over his, his face and uh, the aunt knew it immediately and so she said, I, I'm sorry, I, I thought that you would like it. I, I'm so sorry that I, I've offended you or disappointed you and he said, oh no, 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 no ma'am, it's my fault, it's all right. It's just that when you asked if I liked big checks or small checks, I, I didn't think that you were going to be getting me a necktie. I thought it'd be like money, big checks, small checks. It's a whole bad preacher joke. But anyway, this is that time of the year when Christmas is, uh, uh, when the tree gets trimmed and so do our budget. Have you all noticed how expensive things are today? Have you all noticed that? And even kids, I was listening to Fox News on the way in this morning, Kids don't even want like the typical toys that we used to ask for. Now, kids, not like teenagers, but like kids are asking for designer bags and designer shoes and designer clothes. That's the TikTok culture that, that we're living in uh, today. But we're talking about here during the month of December the fact that Christmas is a gift. And if you've been with me over the last several weeks, you'll, you'll remember we looked at first how Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. Now, let me say this, even though Christmas is a gift worth waiting for, if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you have never met the babe of Bethlehem, you have never experienced the miracle of the manger and been saved, and let me ask you this question, what are you waiting for? Christmas is a gift worth waiting for, but what are you waiting for? If you have been waiting for just the right time, what better time could there be than now? If you were waiting for just the right day, what better day than now? Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so if you have never begun a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, do it today. And here's why. Christmas wasn't early and Christmas wasn't late. Christmas was right on time. Paul says in Galatians 4.4 that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And that the thing that has always struck me, especially during this time of the year, as I have studied the life and ministry, the work of Jesus Christ, is that from the very moment that Jesus stepped into this world through the miracle of the manger and the virgin birth until the time that he stepped off of this planet at his awesome ascension, he was always right on time. And so Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. But then number two, Christmas is a gift worth giving. Have you ever had a hard time picking out just the right gift for just the right person? Am I the only one that has that issue? Of course, kids make it real easy today. Uh, today, what kids do is, if they're like, if, if your family is like my family, what, what kids do today is they will use their phones and they will take notes and they'll copy links into their note function and then they will text it to you. It makes it a whole lot easier. Can I get an amen in the house this morning, right? But if you've ever been looking for just the right gift, for just the right person, 
then let me ask you this question. Have you ever put that much thought and time and attention into the gift that you would give Jesus Christ this season? Again, if you have never given him your heart, your life, what better gift to give Jesus this Christmas than yourself, your life? And if you've already given him your heart, then what about your worship? What about your wealth? What about your witness? What about your will? Or something really even practical like your weekend? There's something that I have, I have wanted to post for the last several days, but I have seen so many guys posting it that I thought that if I did, you guys are going to think I'm more corny than I am. And so I have held off reposting or even creating my own meme here. But there's a meme that's been going around this week on Facebook primarily, and it goes something like this. Tell me if you've seen it. It goes something like this. This year, instead of an elf on the shelf, how about a you in the pew? I like that pretty good, right? And so maybe this Christmas you will give him your weekend. I love something that I heard my pastor Adrian Rogers say years ago. Dr. Rogers said, because of his sovereign dominion, I'll give him my wealth. Because of his sinless deity, I'll give him my worship. And because of his sacrificial death, I'll give him my witness. Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. Christmas is a gift worth giving. And that brings us this morning, Luke chapter 2, to see where Christmas is a gift worth receiving. Because I don't know, again, how it is around your house, but at our house we have a teenage girl and her three brothers who are really excited about Christmas. I mean, they are counting down the days. And normally at our house we don't just have one calendar. We have two calendars counting down the days to Christmas. Why? Because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it at all. But the sad part, the sad fact of the matter is, is that this Christmas there will be multiplied millions upon millions of people across this world who will gather together and they will give gifts on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning, and yet they will still miss Christmas. You know why? Because Christmas is not about tinsel and toys. It's not about boxes and bows. It's not about trains and trees. And it's really not even about getting together and giving gifts to loved ones and family and friends, as great as those things are. Christmas is about Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about a baby born in a manger for just one purpose, and that was to save his people from their sins. That's what Matthew chapter 1 says, right? That angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, which literally means Jehovah saves. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And so when you really get down to it, when you boil it all down, Christmas is about salvation. And so that's why I'm saying to you again this morning that Christmas is a gift worth receiving because that's the only way you can receive a gift. You, you, can't win it as a, you can't earn it as a wage. You can't win it as a prize. You can't even get it as a reward for suffering. It is a gift. I want you to think about this with me this morning. Are y'all here today? Put your thinking caps on. Do this right here for me. Put your thinking caps on uh, real quickly this morning. That The early service, they were still asleep, all right? And uh, this went right over their heads. They woke up a little bit out at West, and now you guys are fully awake today, and you've got your thinking caps on. Think about this. If God had said, salvation is something that can be purchased, then tens of millions, billions of people would be too poor to buy it. If God had said, if you're good enough, or if you do enough good works, then you can earn your salvation, then who would have been good enough or have done that much? 
If God had said, if you'll just suffer, if you'll do penance, deprive yourself, then there are many people who would not realize just how bad they are, and as a result, they wouldn't have suffered sufficiently. And if God had said, I'm going to grade on the curve, and, and if you score high enough, then you'll pass and you'll get your salvation, let me ask you a question. Who's going to be able to keep up with Jesus, right? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about what it must have been like to be one of the siblings of Jesus? Always right, always perfect. Some of you all were raised in a family just like that. Can I see your hands right? And so there's always one who's the favorite. But, but no, God didn't say you can't work for it as a wage. You can be presented with it as a, a prize. You can, con- you can secure it through suffering. God said you can only have my salvation one way, and that is you must receive it as a free gift. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift. Say gift. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Christmas is a gift worth receiving. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. We're in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to look here at the Christmas story and see how three groups of people responded to this first Christmas. And the first group that I want you to see is back up in verse 1 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse number 1. Listen to what it says. And it came to pass in those days, those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I want you to circle, highlight, star, whatever, the little word world. And here's what I want you to see. That the world quietly ignored him. That's what the world did. The world quietly ignored him. So I'm a history buff. And I understand that during this time, Caesar spoke and people began to move, including a poor little couple from Nazareth. Uh, And so they begin to move. Everybody is headed back to their hometown to be registered. And here's what I know. These were good people as far as people go. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're they're doing their civic duty. They They are honoring and obeying the law. They're going back to their hometowns in order to be registered and to be to to be taxed. But While they're doing that, they are oblivious to the miracle that was taking place right underneath their very noses. Why? Well, first of all, because they were busy. And let's be honest, like a lot of people in the world today, they're too busy to take time for for Jesus. It's not that they were openly opposed to him. They just didn't have time to think about him. He didn't fit into their schedule. Again, you in a pew. And so as a result of that, They didn't have time to think about what Micah had said some 700 years before, how Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. They had no time. They didn't take the time to think about that. They also didn't take the time to think about how Jacob, who lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born, by the way, when he was blessing his sons, said that Christ would be from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. It never crossed their minds, even as they were headed back to Bethlehem, the city of David, that that Jeremiah had prophesied 600 years earlier that Christ would come from the lineage of David. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the 
days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. And they had even forgotten to remember how Isaiah had said somewhere around 700 B.C., that Christ would be born of a virgin. If you'll come back tonight, I'll tell you more about this. But Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bible open there, I want you to circle, highlight, star, that little word, name, Emmanuel. It's super important, and we're going to come back to it at the end of this morning's message. But here's the thing. They're too busy, too busy for Jesus. Can I say this to you? If you're too busy for Jesus, you're too busy. You may be even busy doing good things for God, but your work is no substitute for your worship, and your busyness is no substitute for the gift of God that was born in Bethlehem. And so the world is just oblivious to him. Why? Because they're so busy. But then they were blind. And that's what happens when you are in the world and of the world. When you live in the world and you are of the world, you become blind to the working and the ways of God. And Paul gives us, doesn't he, a, a, a little glimpse into this. Paul, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but even if our gospel... That's the good news that those angels announced that first Christmas. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then he says this in verse 6. What, listen. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so you may be here this morning for a variety of reasons. Maybe somebody invited you. By the way, I'm glad that you're here. If you weren't here, I, I learned during COVID, preaching to empty pews is no fun, right? So you're here for a variety of reasons. And maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you. Maybe it's the Christmas season and you woke up and you just thought, you know what, I probably ought to go to church. Maybe you came for a baptism or for whatever other reason you came, but you don't know Jesus Christ. Let me say to you this morning as clearly and as passionately as I possibly can, don't miss Christmas this year. Don't be like this group of people who quietly ignored the greatest Christmas gift that's ever been given. Don't be too busy for Jesus. Don't be blinded by the lights of this world and miss the light of the world, Jesus. Don't substitute fruitcake for the bread of life. Don't substitute gifts under a tree for God's gift on a tree. So Shane Pruitt. Shane Pruitt is... Uh, our youth evangelism specialist for the North American Mission Board. And Shane Pruitt made a statement the other day. It's great, not novel, nothing, nothing earth-shattering. I just like how he put it. He said, this Christmas, we will place gifts under a tree. 2,000 years ago, God placed the greatest gift of all on a tree. And so the first group was the world. What did they do? The world quietly ignored him. But then there's a second one I want you to see, and that's the innkeeper. What did the innkeeper do? The innkeeper stubbornly rejected him. Look in verse 7. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And by, by the way, that inn had a name. We're told about it in Jeremiah 41. It's called Chimham's Habitation. So this is one of my favorite things to share. I learned it from John Phillips years ago, Brother Bill. And so Chimham had an inn. Why? Well, because David had a son named Absalom who rebelled against him. This is one of my favorite Bible nugget things that I love to geek out on, okay? So just bear with me if you don't like it. So Absalom rebelled against his father David. Actually wanted to kill him and take the kingdom. And so David wins the Absalom rebellion. And he's going to go back into Jerusalem. And he goes to an older man by the name of Barzillai the Gileadite. Barzillai the Gileadite had taken care of David during the Absalom rebellion. Gave him all kinds of stuff. Enabled him to win. And so David is going back into Jerusalem in order to take over. And he goes to Barzillai the Gileadite and he says, I want you to go with me back into Jerusalem. And I'm going to have you sit with me at my table and you can eat at my table and I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to reward you for the rest of your life. And so Barzillai the Gileadite says, no, I'm too old. I can't see you. I can't hear. I can't make good decisions. And so I'm not going to be any use to you. I'm too old. Take my servant Chimham and give him everything that you would have given to me. And so David takes Chimham into Jerusalem. And evidently sitting there at the table one night, David looks over at Chimham and he says, Hey, Chimham, tell you what I'm going to do. I've got the family farm at Bethlehem. I'm going to give it to you. And David gives the family farm at Bethlehem to a young man by the name of Chimham. And on that family farm, Chimham built and in. Jeremiah spent a night there, Jeremiah 41 tells us, when he was abducted, being taken to Egypt. And so by the time Mary and Joseph walk into this town, this inn is about a thousand years old. Joseph walks up to it and knocks on the door and the innkeeper comes to the door and the Bible says that they were told that there was no room for them in the inn. And I got to thinking about that innkeeper this past week and he's never expressly mentioned in the Bible, but, but he's at the very least very heavily implied and so from what I read in Luke chapter 2 here's kind of what I think ha happened Joseph walks up to the door he knocks on the door the innkeeper comes to the door he could see Joseph he could see Mary and there was no doubt that she was pregnant she was so pregnant you could see her that she was pregnant at the end of the block and so Joseph said, hey, can we get a room? And the innkeeper said, hey, I'm sorry, no room, we're all full, but there's a cattle shed out back if you want to go make do with that. By the way, no room. You ever thought about that? You've heard that all your life, haven't you? No room in the inn. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. That innkeeper had a room. He just wasn't willing to give it up for Jesus, right? So no room, no vacancy. We are full. And so he said the cattle shed is good enough for them. He stubbornly rejected them and sent them round back to the stable. In the fall of 1775, by the way, a year after Abilene was founded. Just thought I'd throw that in there. In the fall of 1775, the manager of Baltimore's largest hotel refused to give a room to a man who looked to be just a poor farmer because he thought, if I allow this poor farmer in here, it's going to lower the prestige of my hotel. And so he told the, the farmer there was no room for him. And so that the next day what he discovered was is that he had turned away, turned away the vice president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. 
Thomas Jefferson had become vice president through a, a flaw in the Constitution. He actually became the vice president for the guy that he had run against, uh, uh, Adams. And, and so the innkeeper immediately realized, man, I have messed up. I have blown it. And so he writes a letter to the vice president, Jefferson, asking him to return and be his guest. If you'll come back, I'll give you the nicest room. It's free. Come back. Jefferson sent back this note, and here's what he said. I have already engaged another room. I value your intentions highly, but if you have no place for a dirty American farmer, you have no room for the vice president of the United States. <laughs> and to that I say amen, amen, amen. Because that's what happened that first Christmas night. Now why did this innkeeper stubbornly reject Jesus? I think two reasons at least. First of all, he was selfish. He, all he cared about was money and his business. And it was obvious that this poor, dirty, young couple from Nazareth didn't have any money to pay for a room. And so what was he going to do? Just let them have it for free or had to kick somebody else out that had already paid for the room? No, I'm not going to do that. And so you can go around back. That, that stable, that, that barn back there is good enough for anybody from Nazareth. And he's not obviously not going to give up his room. We talked about that already. He turned them away because he was selfish, but then also because he was callous. Because he could tell that Mary was pregnant, and even without Joseph mentioning it. So my, my last church, we had a, I had a secretary by the name of America Dyer. America's from Aiken. And uh, when, we first came to, when we first came to Temple, um, the, the, the Dyers were new, were new to the church, and, and, and she was pregnant. It was about this time of year. And I was preaching along, I think I've told you this several times, and I was preaching along about this part of the story, and I said, Mary was great with child, just like America Dyer. She still remembers it. Matter of fact, if any of you all are friends with America Dyer, if you'll just send her a note, say, I'm still telling that story, that'd be awesome, right? And so he sees this couple. It's obvious that she is pregnant, but he doesn't care. He's so cold. He's so callous. He didn't care about this little pregnant woman or her child. Let them sleep in the stable again. That's good enough for anybody from Nazareth. You see, some people don't receive the gift of Christmas because they quietly ignore it. They might even be unaware. But then there are those who stubbornly reject the gift of Christmas. They're unconcerned, unsympathetic. They are selfish and callous toward the things of God. And that's what happens to a person when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you reject Him, and He convicts you again and you reject Him, it's just like working on the farm. What happens is you create a blister that then hurts, but then over time that blister turns into a callus to where you can't even feel it anymore. So you have the world, you have the innkeeper, and then lastly there's this third group, and that's the shepherds. What did they do? The shepherds graciously accepted him. Look at our passage for this morning, Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill toward peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
The world missed Christmas because it quietly ignored Him. And the innkeeper missed Christmas because he stubbornly rejected Him. But those shepherds found Christmas because they graciously accepted Him. You know, there are three kinds of people in this world and most likely in this room this morning. There are believers, those who have graciously accepted Him. And there are unbelievers, those who have stubbornly rejected Him. But then there are make-believers, those who have quietly ignored Him. And the question this morning is, which one are you? John MacArthur says that if you condense all of the truth of Christmas into three words, it would be these. God with us. This Christmas, God wants to give you a present. It's the present of His presence. Because He is Emmanuel, God with us. One of the most heart touching stories I think I've ever read, Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom, of course, very famous, wrote a book, best selling book turned movie, entitled The Hiding Place. It's the story of a young woman who survived a Nazi concentration camp, and she tells the story of one of the Christmases that she spent in that Nazi hellhole. Corey and the other Christians in that camp had placed some very simple homemade Christian ornaments on the trees just outside the barracks. But underneath those trees were the bodies of those that had been with them, the dead bodies of the family members and the friends that had been with them there in the barracks. Corey was tired of, really tired of telling people about the love of God and the love of Jesus physically, emotionally drained and she looked out a little crack in the wall at those trees and the bodies that were underneath them. She heard the moaning and the groaning of those in the house, the barracks with her. But then she heard a child's voice crying. And the child said, Mommy, come to Oli." Oli is so alone. Corey Tinboom said that she recognized that voice and recognized that name. And she knew that Oli's mama was one of the bodies underneath the trees outside. She went to the bunk of that little girl and she whispered, Oli, Mommy can't come to you, 
But I want to tell you about the one who did come on that first Christmas. And he will come, with, come to you and he will be with you right now. And sitting there on that bunk, Corey Ten Boom told her about Jesus. And how Jesus Christ came to this earth because of his great love for us. How he died on the cross for our sins. She told little Ole about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And how he's now in heaven building a house for us. And in heaven there's no mean, cruel, nasty people like there were there at Ravensbrook. Only those who love Jesus and one another. And that night little Ole sitting on that bunk gave her life. To Jesus and she received the greatest gift ever. Amen. A few days later, Corey Tinboom saw Ole. And she had all these bruises and sores all over her, and they had tried to wrap her up with toilet paper and bandage her up. And she could tell that she was hurting, and so Corey Tinboom asked. Little Ole, Ole, where is Jesus? With a warm but weak smile, Ole said, He's in heaven where He's built a little house just for me. Is He just up there in heaven? Corey asked. Oh, no. Little Ole said, He is right here with me, and when I hurt, I let the pain remind me of the pain He suffered and the death He endured for me to provide that little house in heaven. And Corey Tinboom said that the Nazis didn't make her wait very long to see that house because in just a matter of days, little Ole was dead. She died and she went into the presence of Jesus all because of the present of the Lord, the gift of himself, the gift of his presence. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's one of the reasons why I love this time of the year so much. Because I get to remind you that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. Amen. Paul says that he is God's indescribable, unspeakable gift. And wrapped up in swaddling clothes, lying right there in that manger on the very first Christmas is the greatest gift the world has ever received, Jesus.